it's rock and roll. <laughs> it's not what we do here. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and take your speed up your number one now, runway 27 third lane green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. The Green Dot, sponsored by GE Aviation. I'm Hal Bryan, I'm one of your hosts. I'm the Senior Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications here at EAA. Sitting on my left is... I'm Chris Henry, I'm the EAA Museum Programs Coordinator. And lurking across the table, giving me an evil glare, is... I'm Tom Charpentier. I'm Government Relations Director. Excellent. And, uh, and Chris, you've brought us some guests, and, and not only not only special guests, but return guests. Absolutely. Which is yeah. a, a rare honor on the Green Dot. I know. They're going to watch out, Jack. They're coming for that blazer. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're actually, I feel like we just all hung out all the time because last week we were together at the Memphis Bell event. Um, uh, amazing dedication of that uh, combat veteran B-17. Um, but with us, Right now, they're actually here to celebrate the 15th anniversary of the Restores, which will be happening uh, tonight. Uh, you'll be listening in the future here, but uh, uh, Adam and Carol White uh, from the Restores. Thank you guys very much. Thanks, Thanks. for having us once again. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. It's, it's, it's great to have you back. Now, does this, since there's two of them, does this count as four Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Is it somehow yeah. multiply that, like that? That's a game changer mm -hmm. right there. If you two were to share a, a single blazer, what size would it be? <laughs> yeah, very big. Like each with one arm or something like that. Oh. Be like dogs dressing up. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, it's great. Uh, it's great to have you guys here. And uh, what an uh, what an occasion. Um, again, as Chris said, as we're recording this, you're preparing to speak uh, tonight. So this episode will air later. So by then, you will have spoken. Have spoken. My prediction is that it went very well. Who would have thought that many people could come? I, it, it's amazing. I'm sure we set records. We had to have outside seating. <laughs> and rooftop seating, which is a first for us. Anyway, well, congratulations on 15 years uh, of the film. Thank That's, you. What does, that, what does that feel like? It's in, in going through a lot of the materials for tonight's uh, uh, event, like some of the behind-the-scenes photos and pulling stills like of some of the people that I, we still work with. Um, yeah, we all look like babies uh in those in those in those pictures uh and and it's also in in going back uh, doing some research again with some of the restorers that uh have moved on to other things and just to find out what they were doing it's uh um it, it doesn't seem like it's that been that long but uh you know people have had lives and children that are grown and in college and uh life moved forward after that and uh, in watching the film, rewatching the film, um, that yeah, some of it feels dated in me doing my first airplane piece ever, uh, and then some of it kind of holds up. That oh right, that decision that I made on the fly on an airstrip somewhere was not the worst decision ever, <laughs> which is as good a praise as I can ever give myself. That's pretty spectacular, I, you know. <laughs> I can look back 15 minutes and tell you that most of the decisions I made in that time frame were probably wrong. So, I much less had that the, McMuffin. Like step one. Years. What, you you watching me on the camera again? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's take it back a little bit. Now, you guys were here, uh, both of you here before, and we talked a bit about your backgrounds, but let's let's revisit that again uh, And for both of you, whoever wants to start. Uh, what was it uh, that first got you interested in that in the world of aviation? Uh, it's, it's I'll, I can start first. I, uh, um, 
always interested in it, but you know, it, it's uh, it goes into the file of the things your guidance counselor can't really advise you on. Filmmaking is also in that. Uh, that's uh, being interested in aviation um, didn't have too many career elements presented to me, so it was always just an interesting factor. And uh, just out of circumstance, um, at the time I was growing up, the Cleveland Air Show, and it actually is kind of still like this, was just mainly jet teams, which um, while I appreciate uh, what the jet teams do, it didn't have a lot of interest uh, for me. Uh, and it wasn't until after I had been through college and I'd been through, I got to go to a couple of different types of air shows, which I didn't know existed, uh, that's up in Batavia and, and look and go, wow, I'm interested in History Channel type stuff and there's a bunch of elements and stories going on here that History Channel doesn't cover, which I know in saying it out loud, all of us at this table will be like, well, yes, of course, they, uh, you know, it's History Channel or, uh, 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 but in, in, in viewing those, um, I started to realize there's something here, there's work that can be done, but I indeed did not know how deep the rabbit hole went in just starting to film. It's like, oh, I'm going to get up at 5 in the morning and go shoot a B-17 at dawn, which of course is sexy footage, but then you start meeting the people, which is the important part, and uh, really finding out how deep those stories end, and then it just kept going for 15 years. That's spectacular. And, and I'm going to make a note here. We would like to get your guidance counselor on yeah. the show <laughs> and uh, really yeah. make him or her over the coals. I didn't have a guidance counselor, <laughs> and I went to a private school. <laughs> career advisor that I yeah. advise you to get a career. Yeah. Like, you just know what you're doing. Like, okay. We would like you to leave. <laughs> get out. Kara, I feel like we're on the verge of a real breakthrough here. Why don't you make yourself comfortable and take us back to those days in private school. How long do you guys have? <laughs> I got all day. Um, but, yeah, back to the uh, – my interest in aviation came from my grandpa. My grandpa was a B-24 tail gunner, which we discussed on the last show. Um, and he was my best friend. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know anything about him flying in planes. I knew he liked planes and he had, he did have aviation stuff in the house. So I'm like, that's cool. And I was a kid, I liked playing his Nintendo. So I was like, okay. But when I was in college, I did a paper. Um, they wanted you to interview or talk with somebody who was your friend, but not from your generation. And I was like, well, that's grandpa, because I'm 18 and I don't have friends who aren't my age. Um, and that's he started talking about the war, because he was like, what do you want to talk about? And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> like, anything you want to talk about. Um, and I did, I mean, not to say I didn't have any interest in it before, because I did. I would gravitate towards movies about aviation, or um, war, particularly war movies. I was really into Vietnam when I was in high school, um, like Full Metal Jacket. Um, apocalypse now all that stuff um and then i was like i don't know i just it was world presented itself to me and i really liked it and then i had never flown in anything that wasn't an airliner until i met adam and he kind of exposed me to all of this stuff like i didn't even know about oshkosh or any of that until we met so and then from there it's just kind of like i keep finding more and more and more and and like adam said it's not about the planes it's about the people who were in the planes and i think that I say I don't know what pulled me towards it, but that's absolutely what pulled it towards me. Pulled me towards aviation was that there's all these really good stories about people who fly, just happen to fly airplanes, and the stories happen to correlate with that. So, 
So going back, was that your motivation for making the film? Was that you wanted to tell the people side of the story? Yeah, I, it, I, mean, I was in, uh, you know, it was 15 years ago as a younger man and uh, trying in, in, in entering into that, into that world of doing restoration, it began doing stories about the people who are doing these restorations. Um, the biggest difference that I have seen, and I knew this, but re-watching the original restorers recently, it's really crystal clear to me. Because um, what is not in that film are any veterans. And that's uh, almost exclusively what we concentrate on now. So I think it was a, in introducing myself into that world. I didn't even know how many veterans were around or what types of veterans were around. And I was more interested in sort of the aviation archaeologists that were finding these aircraft, learning how to put them back together and flying them, and why do you do that? And then after sort of coming through the tail end of that, uh, people like... Frank Borman, Jerry Beck, and Bob Odegaard began to, as they say, they began to learn me. They taught me, not just by example, as to why the, this was happening, which in turn changed why I was doing this. Um, we, both Kara and I have had the opportunity to be, um, and we've talked about this before, that we are ruined uh, people that we are not normal that we get to do things that many many people that come to air venture don't get to do uh, and that and air venture is just the tip of the iceberg of the rest of the people that are interested in that and that we get to fly b-17s and mustangs and um, ordinary people don't get to do that and while it's cool i'm i don't need to film another mustang again in my life that's not, at this point, that's not the interest that I have. The interest I have is in the people that built those airplanes and the, the kid that had to go down to the dock and learn about uh, flying a P-51 from the handbook, teach the rest of his squadron, and then go to Berlin the next day. That's a way more interesting story than uh, uh, how to rebuild the doghouse in the belly of the, of the Mustang. So that's the biggest shift from work from the original restorers to now is growing past the restoration of wood and cloth and metal to pretty people-centric now right i mean it's pretty much comes down to like why do you do like that's our first question and our last question is why do you do this and why is it important um because the heart behind all of that is the most interesting part and that's what everybody relates to no matter what Okay, there was a slight edit there while I was uh, attempting to down some coffee, and uh, it unfortunately went down the wrong pipe, and I had to step outside for a second, and we've spent the last 15 minutes or so cracking up, but uh, we're coming back now. Tom died. This is actually Scott Bakula. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking either Scott Bakula or Ted McGinley. Yeah, exactly. It's, really, it's exactly. really tough to tell, but... Uh, but uh, the role of Tom has been filled. Yeah. We were appropriately talking about the human side. We nearly killed a guy. Yeah. Okay. So uh, anyway, coming back here now, um, was when you asked the question to the, to the folks who are restoring these aircraft, uh, why are you doing it? Was there any kind of a, uh, any kind of a common answer? Were they different answers? What was the, uh, what, what was kind of the, the, the sense you got from the, from that question? Um, I would have to say the number one is, especially when we're doing anything that's war related, is to honor the veterans. 
hands down, that's why everybody cares about doing this. Um, Adam and I kind of take, in, in my head, every answer that we get, it's for the love of it. Like, it's absolutely for the love of flight. It's for the love of telling a story. It's just love. Um, and that's not them going, oh, I love it. It's, that's what they're saying. You know, like, that's, uh, they'll give you a very nice answer. And you're like, okay, so it's because this is where your heart is. Um, it's too hard and it's too lengthy, these projects, for it to be anything else. Yeah. Uh, that... It could be, yeah, it could be the love of uh, history. They might have a very personal connection that uh, a family member or a loved one was associated with that type of airplane, so they want to be a part of it. Um, whatever it is, it's uh, far more of a dedication than uh, just a hobby or a job that right. they're associated with. And we always say airplanes are just wood, fabric, metal, and it's about the people behind it. But the wood, fabric, and metal means something to people like it represents that love it represents a family member it represents something to them and that's why they care about it it's not they're not out there restoring a car they're not out there building a bike it's this particular piece of machinery is important so it's um it's actually really cool to hear all the different answers <laughs> well and you were uh, you know talking about how you the the focus of your stories has shifted to the people and I think it was Adam you mentioned even the people who make them and that's <clears throat> there's something especially fascinating to me for me it's it's more on the hands-on flying side than it is on the building or restoring side but I, I've dabbled in that a, a small amount but it's it's fascinating to me to see somebody you know who can still use something like an English wheel mm. you know these are sort of some of these lost arts because there there was an art to building these things the first time around and sometimes to redo them. Yeah, we have a lot of technology and tools and methods now that we didn't then, but a lot of it is the same. Mm -hmm. And I would say it's, this, it's the same when you when you fly an old airplane. Um, I think one of the most powerful things to be, and I brought this up before in the show, is that uh, when you're sort of, you know, hand on the stick and feet on the rudder pedals, you're doing, there, there's nothing because this is the 21st century or well, somehow this is easy or different or a, a watered down experience. And we don't have people shooting at us, mercifully, but otherwise we, we're hands on, we're feeling that same thing. And when you see people working with, uh, with fabric, uh, I, I, I kind of call out fabric in particular, but that's not necessarily fair. Fabric and wood, certain types of metal work, yes, some things we can see and see and we can laser cut and, and this sort of things now, but but a lot of it is still, it's still human hands uh, doing things just as we did them 70, 80 years ago. Um, but now we have this impossible luxury uh, in that we can do them because we, we love to do this, mm -hmm. because we love to be involved in the building and the flying and whatever. Uh, we're, not, uh, we're not doing it with sort of collective guns to our head mm -hmm. saying, you know, if we don't do this, 100,000 times a day for the next six years. <laughs> right. uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. Right, right, yeah. And I think a lot of the skills, even as a crew member, you know, one of my, mm -hmm. my, my favorite stories from the B-17 was we had a, um, a B-17 radio operator, and he got back in his air, in aluminum overcast, and he went for a ride. And, you know, on the flight, you're able to move around the whole airplane, and this radio operator just sat hmm. at the radio station as a seat, and he, you know, we had we have the radio set there, and he's just sending Morse code and checking the dials, and and that's even a lost art form. But that guy never left the seat because to him, that's 
the skill that he had. That's where he wanted to be. That was sure. 1944 to him. But it was amazing to watch him, you know, and to hear about him still able to, like, you know, figure you know, I look at those yeah. old radios. I'm like, how do you use this? You know, yeah. and, and he was just right back at it. Like, oh, That's I still fantastic. remember Morse code and everything, you know. <laughs> and somewhere on the ground, there was somebody uh, receiving a uh, radio communication. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, somebody's saying there's a B-17 <laughs> heading for Schweinfurt. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Is that near Fond du Lac? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ball bearings? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess I'd, I'd just add one more thing to the, uh, to the whole um, – the lost art form thing, and it's just something that I I never re- really even considered until I went over to our maintenance shops and was uh, was learning from the folks who have restored our, our 1929 Ford trimotor uh, how they did that because at least for a lot of these World War II aircraft there are a few people still around who built these aircraft originally for our trimotor there absolutely isn't and uh, they were talking about some of the ways that we had to like some really uh, creative ways that we put a you know, bucking bar up into the wing and things like that. It's kind of like, I, I liken it to um, looking at the pyramids and trying to figure out how they were built, you know, because you, <laughs> right. you really just, some of, you have some of that knowledge is written down and a lot of it was just um, and a lot, passed down. I mean, yeah. a lot of that, uh, even in the World War II material that um, you talk about, you know, the, uh, uh, the progress of having a deadline. Uh, when you're in combat that... Um, Nobody uh, at that time they were, uh, were worried about anything other than saving the world. So uh, saving things for posterity was not uh, a line item uh, in their mission. So Jerry Beck said, you know, having the plans in one hand is great, but if you have the old part and the plans in your hand, then you're sitting pretty well because the plans don't match up. Because somebody in the field had a report of how this was particular part was working, reported it back, North American makes a change, makes a change on the line, and it's not reflected in their plan. So 70 years later, while people are trying to do restoration of these aircraft and are looking at the plans, uh, nothing is matching up. That's why. They pull the plans out of the Smithsonian. I know there's very skilled restorers out there. They're digitizing them uh, into large databases now, but if you can get, if you actually have, like, oh, I'm making a C-model Mustang, then you have the old part then it works very well. And that's been true for quite a lot of aviation. The Wright brothers were especially notorious about that, that they had no interest in history whatsoever. They would crumple up their plans of this model and move forward to the next one. And then 110 years later, everybody's going, what did they do here? They saved (laughs) nothing. Uh, um, And so everybody has to turn into their own uh, sleuth of history to figure it out. Yeah, it's a great, uh, great point about the rights in particular. I just was having a discussion a couple of weeks ago with a right scholar, a friend of mine, uh, just for a side project. I needed to see some, some drawings, some something, and uh, and he said, flat out, there really isn't anything. It's basically one drawing of the O three O three flyer, and he sent me a nice scan of it, and it's a very, very simple, you know, three view, and and I mean, you sure couldn't build it uh, accurately, uh, accurately from that. But that's uh, there, there's something powerful about uh, about what you guys have said in, and it, it sort of gets back to what we were talking about that. Uh, you know, the rights were focused on one one mission, just want to make this thing work, and then you know patent it and mm-hmm. and move on to success that way. Um, in in combat or in in you know the, the North American factories and and uh, plants that will run and everything else. All we're focused on is the mission, 
mm-hmm. and you know is we've got to get these airplanes built we've got to put them to use get them over there you know the pilots have to fly them if they if they break one give them another one and and just move on and it's uh i think it's really really interesting as i said before now we have the luxury to do these things at a different pace with different motivations a different pace to some degree um i'm, I'm sure you see restorations where it feels like there's a ton of pressure to get it done and hit a deadline there is uh, the more uh, yeah there's certainly the more publicized aircraft right the more eyeballs on it sure uh, uh whether fairly or not, sometimes uh, starts putting a lot of pressure on the restoration facility right. or people. But, but grandly and broadly speaking, the, the pressure is, I don't think the pressures can really be compared fairly because, as we said, we're not trying to save the world. Um, but in some way, we're doing something a lot more nuanced and mm-hmm. we're doing something that maybe is just as important. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, everybody who does this becomes like amateur hi- historians in a way because you're you do have to go into the Smithsonian and you have to like go to all these places and search it out and be like, what the hell did they do? Because I can't figure it out. Um, so I think that's one of the most fascinating things to me is that it just by the fact act of doing something that maybe you're like, oh, I'm kind of interested in building something or I'm kind of interested in doing this is that you're gonna keep learning more about it as you go and then you just discover more and i mean to me it's all about learning new things so and it's about spreading spreading the and good spreading word spreading the good word any yeah. any uh Kara and i you know when we work in we also work in the film industry uh, um um at large not just doing documentary films and you know there's a lot of people that have a lot of experiences and are very eclectic in that and most of them don't know about a lot of this material that we work with so if they see um me wearing a warbird shirt or Kara has a wasp ring on and they may ask about it and then you get to tell them and that's you know we always say history won that day that we got to pass along and and we try to rein it back and not turn into the weirdo that just starts (laughs) rifling (laughs) a textbook at somebody but try to give them a little bit of a nugget yeah to be like this is why this is cool and yeah i didn't say maybe they get interested like oh person interested in the ring this was uh this is the women pilots in world war ii and they flew everything in the ars in the uh, american arsenal and they were younger than you yeah and they and then leave it and then Mm -hmm. just give them give them a little something yeah. And it's a good thing you avoid creating weirdos in the film industry. Because <laughs> yeah. I think the whole thing would collapse if somebody in that, in that business was, was surprising a amount odd. of pilots. Actually, yeah. Yeah. surprising. Yeah. Everybody keeps to themselves if you're working on some stupid movie, and then they see you wearing a Warbird shirt, and then they, if there's a quiet moment over those three weeks, because there'll only be like two, uh, then they'll saddle up and they go, "Have you been up to Oshkosh?" And they're all cagey <laughs> about it because they don't know if, like, "Oh, is that your brother's shirt?" Or something? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then Oshkosh. You, what's and that's that is also another uh every time so you're going to oshkosh you're going to go get some boots <laughs> yeah. and it really it is astounding that if you don't know about oshkosh you don't know about oshkosh if you yeah. don't know about reno you don't know about mm-hmm. reno it's like these are massive events yeah. and um everybody at this table has talked about that in the past that it's sort of indicative of the ga problem at large anyway that uh if you are not part of uh, that community, then it's a, it's them over there. It's this yeah. group, this club, maybe even elitist called sometimes, right. uh, whether fair or not. And there's, uh, uh, 
And it's something with in doing the restores and doing the other documentaries that we do, we try to crack open uh, that a little bit to bring other people in. Because yeah. everybody at this table is going to come to this show and go, and go to those other shows. Uh, our goal is to get new people to Yeah, it. and that's one of the goals of the restorers is to make it not – I mean, it is accessible – or, like, airplane people love it because it's airplanes – but we want to make it accessible to everybody. So I think that's why we're always like, it's not necessarily about the planes, it's about the people, which it is. Um, and the planes are an awesome bonus for us because we love to tell those stories. But like on a side note, every, so look, we always try to bring somebody to Oshkosh who hasn't been to Oshkosh. And last year we brought my mom, my sister, and my nephew. And my nephew was 15. And this year he asked my sister, he's like, are we going back? Cause we were like, I don't think that, you know, I don't think he, cared no and then interest he was in like, airplanes I really want to go back yeah wow. so I mean it's kind of a win yeah <laughs> and these are people we got separated from when we were talking on the phone these are people who know nothing about airplanes yeah because we were like well tell them to meet you by the B1 and we look at each other like they don't know the name of any airplane ever <laughs> yeah so we had to, like we can't even no say the big black one we had yeah. to say go to the tower they know what a tower is <laughs> do you um, see the big thing pointing at that but if we that. can uh we always want to bring somebody here new mm -hmm. to grow it uh uh because the choir will always come yeah. uh and be interested it's like how how can this industry spread how can everybody doesn't have to be interested in mustangs mm -hmm. but if you can get them i i and you know we're just two people in a house making movies we're not the smartest people but if we can in our little way uh get it going a little bit mm -hmm. stronger that's all the better yeah when coming here you know for me the first time i came here was in the 90s and i was totally hooked on warbirds i mean it was the mustangs and lightnings and stuff like that but it was through coming here that I really started to get into, you know, the vintage stuff, uh, you know, looking at, I remember the stagger wing was something that I was just in love with right away or, you know, the 195s, but it was all because of here. Like I had never had that massive yeah. exposure all at one time of all of this cool stuff. You know, the World War One, World War One is something that I was, I knew of it. I know a little bit about it. Yeah, some of the planes are neat, but until a couple of years ago when we had the World War One stuff here and I worked on that project, but I'm like, wow, these guys were crazy. They were flying these World War One fighters at like altitudes, altitudes way pistols. above 10,000. I mean, yeah. they're up to like yeah. sometimes 20,000 feet with no oxygen yeah. Yeah. and sometimes no parachutes. And I'm like, yeah. that's insane. Like crazy. <laughs> Early yeah. 10 years after the airplane was invented. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Do, like, like I, I mean, I know about World War One, but like I didn't know a lot of the aviation stuff until we did our episode of The Restorers at Rhinebeck. And you go there and you're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> People like, out of your minds. Yeah. yeah. And they're telling you about like how they, you know, like, and it's not in the show because it's, it's a really long piece, but um, I don't know if it's in the extras or not. But one of the guys we were interviewing was telling us all about like the engines and how they worked mm. and like how they had to start them. And I'm like, this is so fascinating. It can't go in the show because <laughs> yeah, it's like too, 30 too, minutes of him just going on about it. But it's really good. Like, you're just like, wow, that's incredible. It's another place nobody knows about. Yeah. And Rhinebeck yeah. is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It was so much place. fun. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I've only been, been once in fact. By coincidence, it was 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. It was uh, my first and only trip. Was Cole Palin um, still alive? Yeah. Okay. That might have been close. I my don't first, think so. I don't think he'd passed. My only trip up there, Cole was still alive. Oh, oh wow. wow. Pretty uh, wild. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that would have been neat to see. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that's why, actually, because for people who didn't know, we did the Restores Up uh, movie 15 years ago, and by doing that, we turned it into a series, which we've just finished not long ago and one of the episodes we did specifically was about aviation destinations and mm -hmm. um you know you say the word 
Chino. And every every airplane person ever knows about that, and it stops there. Yeah. And normal people are like, "Oh, that's where they got a prison, right?" Yeah. <laughs> like, and, it, it's what I wear to work, except on catching. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we did, and I mean, the list of things that we left out of that episode is criminal. Right. But you have to stop it. We can only do an hour, but we did for that episode. We did Chino, Rhinebeck, and Kitty Hawk. Yeah. And Kitty Hawk is not just uh, an uh, a static beach that you can go here's where it probably it happened 120 mm-hmm. years ago that you can go down there with zero training and on the same day you get trained in the morning and in the afternoon you're flying a right glider yeah you get to re- literally relive history on your vacation which that i is. think is one of the coolest things ever. and they had yeah we, we brought somebody with us to fly but they had they've had 10-year-olds there they've had airline captains there yeah and, and 80-year-olds and um, yeah, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, it's kind of pricey, but like, it would be totally worth oh, it's it. It's only me. a little <laughs> bit more because they have a hang gliding school. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's a little bit more than flying the hang glider, but over on the one side of the dunes, you see all the people doing the hang gliding. And then over here, they're like, they're flying the right glider, flying the right glider. <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't that's know absolutely that. a bucket list thing for me too. And yeah. it's, a, it's an O2 glider. Mm-hmm. It's an O2 glider. And let me tell you, if you go after Labor Day, Everybody has gone back uh, to school, and everything's it's still awesome. open, and it's windier, so it's easier to fly. You have yeah. to keep your keep an eye on the north at the at the South Atlantic a little bit, make sure nothing bad's coming. Uh, but all the restaurants are yeah. great down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, brought to you by the North Carolina Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Another sponsor. He's yeah. about, uh, it's about time. I'm gonna have to start. Yeah, we gotta get start getting paid for those. I, yeah. <laughs> I think that is one of the most, uh, you know, not to keep the commercial going, but I think that is one of the most compelling uh, compelling experiences is out there because people uh you know people look at the story of the of the rights and number one they tend to think it's you know good old plucky american ingenuity which is there's elements of that but it's uh these two guys they messed around uh in the back of their bike shop and then one day boom we had an airplane no mm-hmm. and it it's it, it's so much the opposite of that and that o2 glider uh to me is every bit as important as the mm-hmm. o3 flyer because it's how they learn to fly yeah, yeah. and they were uh, among the only really not only but they were one of the few uh, experimenters at the time who understood that learn that flying was a skill that mm-hmm. they would have to master. You know, you didn't have uh, you know you had George Cayley back in the mid 1800s, uh, making some really fascinating and crucial mm-hmm. discoveries around yeah. aerodynamics and things like this. Designs this glider and then says, "Hey, uh, you, the ten year old boy, like maybe the son of his chauffeur, depending on which story mm-hmm. you hear, uh, <laughs> go for a ride on it." Yeah, and you know, and that's yeah. That's not what uh, that's not what flying was. It was uh, you know, it is a, no. it is a skill, and the, right. the rights had to learn it. And the people that you talk to um, yeah. have to learn these skills, whether it's flying, it's building, it's all these things. Yeah, and, and they figure. I mean, and they figured out how to do it. We just we were just in Germany in Munich mm. at the um, I think it's called the Keplinger, and it's this museum that's just strictly about inventions. It's all about technology and inventions. Oh, wow. And they, it's pretty cool. And they have um, a floor with aviation, and they have all the designs and some of the pieces of things that people tried to fly in. Oh, <laughs> and right. you're like, wow, that's yeah. like, <laughs> that would never work. So it's kind of like just the fascinating way that they were like, this worked. Like we figured it out. And like, and the scientific method that you uh, right. talk about that so many people were not willing to put in the work like that. Uh, when we filmed, to bring it back to the film, the mm-hmm. fi- in the original Restorers, one of the stories is somebody doing 
the Wright gliders and taking it down to Kitty Hawk, and they were there for an afternoon with Army, uh, trained Army and Air Force pilots and Navy flying this Wright glider. And they did, you know, a couple of days and a couple of dozen flights. The Wrights did 2,000 flights with that O2 glider and spent the entire summer there and left knowing what they had to do next, which, of course, became the O3 flyer. So it was... Uh, yeah, the the story of the plucky uh, bicycle <laughs> yeah. guys that had a hobby it couldn't be farther from the truth. Right. Absolutely. Well, I I think that's a, that becomes a good metaphor uh, for anybody involved in uh, in this this world of of restoration of building of of, of even history telling. In that uh, any any project like this that's worth it uh, becomes so much just more extraordinarily deeper than you realize from the surface. And I'm sure you guys have, have, have found that. You said to yourself, I would get up at five in the morning, go shoot a B-17, and then, you, know, you, you in fact, take us back to that starting point when you, when you set out to make this movie. Did you have the slightest inkling of what this would all turn into? Uh, I started the movie uh, probably with two-thirds of the stories. Not, not only were they not in place, I didn't even know what I was going to put in the movie that uh, the very first story that we did, uh, I had an in to talk to uh, Bob Odegaard. And I had enough brains that uh, by our work with independent films, uh, uh, that you want to get somebody that at least the restoration community had heard of. And Bob Odegaard was certainly somebody that everybody had heard of. So with credit cards, uh, me and my audio guy flew up to Fargo, North Dakota in February. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, decide, and and Bob was incredibly welcoming uh, for us to do that, and opened up the Fargo Air Museum for us, and went to a shop and filmed him there, and we and we were off and running, and then he said, you know who you should really talk to, and it was Jerry Beck, and on the same trip we tacked on the next day instead we were going to leave, but the next day we drove down to Wapiton, North Dakota, and. Uh, filmed with Jerry Beck for for a day and then I said you know who you need to talk to and it kept going like that and everyone we ever filmed with and it still happens everybody we film with you know who you should talk to and in 2002 when I was making this at some point I had to say we got to stop because it's only a one-hour movie I'm making I don't have enough money for more film because I was shooting a motion picture film back then so we you know and it was true from the restoration guys like that, from the pilots, you know, uh, 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 Frank Borman was the next story we did, and he was another one that said, you know who you should talk to? And then we ended up having to talk, not having to, but getting to talk with General Urschler and uh, Bill Anders. And then we turned it into a story about uh, uh, heritage flights. And from one step along the way to the other, the slots got filled in the story, so to speak. And at some point, I just had to say, we're done. <laughs> we have to stop. I have to, I have to edit this together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, that really, really resonates, the whole you-know-who-you-need-to-talk-to thing, because that's, uh, that's how this community, I suppose lots of other communities as well, but I think more so than a lot that I've, I've seen, that's how the aviation community yeah, works. Yeah, for sure. It's, you, know, yeah. you need somebody to say, well, you got to talk to so-and-so, whether you're, you know, go talk to them because you're trying to tell a story or go talk right. to them because you're interested in this and they will help you learn more about it. They mm-hmm. will give you an opportunity. Um, I'll ask you a, a, a cruel and unfair question. Um, 
hopefully Tom will survive. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, have you ever, uh, when somebody tells you, you know who you need to talk to, and you go talk to them, have you ever said, gosh, I wish I hadn't talked to them? Have you ever regretted oh, wow. that? <laughs> um, I, no. Uh, I can't recall uh, that. Usually we won't just go in cold because sure. mm-hmm. it's uh, not – uh, it's not simply going and taking some stills for us to mount an expedition at right. some cost. Mm-hmm. So we'll, you know, if somebody gives us a note, then we'll, we'll start digging into it and, and, and do some research and talk to other people going, Hey, do you know about this person? Yeah. Uh, and get, yeah. and, and from, from O2, it very quickly was sort of gelled in my head. This needed to be a television series. And then so after doing a couple other projects and, uh, a few years later than Kara and I got wheels to it and said, now's the time we're actually going to try and put this together as a series. And then we would look at all those stories and we kind of had them on a big board. Like here's all the different stories. And there were several on there that we did not put into our series because not because they didn't have an interest level, but we try to theme everything and, or we're doubling up like here's, here's another story about, that's kind of like Ryan. Yeah, so. you got to kind of pair it. Otherwise, it just becomes a mishmash. Because um, when you watch them back to back, you're going to be like, oh, like we totally just jumped. We just re- yeah. Like, why are we over here now? So we try to have at least like a thread between them. And there were stories that I was like, this is a great story and we can't do it. Which is heartbreaking because it's like I want to do all of so them. So you don't have you don't you don't have uh, unlimited funds. We yeah. have to, and we don't have a contract where we're doing twenty six episodes. I we, wish uh, we did. Our, yeah. our, first ser- <laughs> our first series was five. It'd be a great job. Yeah. <laughs> So we had to uh, kind of say, well, we're we going to get the biggest impact for impact uh, for our dollar, and at the same time, um, do justice to the widest swath of different types of aviation. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of World War II because there was a lot of aircraft, there's and people could available. still work on them. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of people out there that can work on an F4 Phantom. But we also wanted to uh, broaden out from that. And so do... it's not just the Warbird show, like that. We have the right glider, and we have we went. I mean. We did go into Vietnam, but which is still warbirds. But I mean, we wanted to like expand that and do something different. But every time we take a story off of the board, and we like we just can't do it, I'd be like, it's season two. Like in my hopeful season brain, two. like season, season two, two, season two. two. And I'm, like, somebody out somebody there has, has to check. give us money. <laughs> <laughs> we will, we we will do some damn it. fine work. Yes. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's a, an interesting answer to me because um, you know, obviously, you've got you've got practical considerations where oh, you got to go talk to so-and-so and you, you do where you can or whatever else. And I have, I have just found more from the, the standpoint of, of, you know, you don't have to go talk to so-and-so to accomplish the goal of a specific project. It's just, Hey, you like this. They like this a lot. They know a lot about it. You know, go talk to so-and-so because you'd be friends or you'd get yeah. along mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and that bit of advice in the aviation community in particular is one, you know, I will never regret following mm-hmm. and uh um and i and I, I conversely i will regret it when, when i don't take it up on it. it's like oh you gotta go talk to so-and-so yeah oh well, i should probably just sit on my couch and eat pizza tonight right instead. yeah <laughs> and yeah you know those so those are the those are the regrets that i have yeah. but i think in in our community when 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 somebody gives you a tip like that just go just with it, it yeah and just go yeah i think like you said that's the gr- regret is when somebody gives it to me and i yeah. can't do anything with it where it's like it's not i haven't regretted actually talking to somebody it's the not talking to somebody where i'm like dang it we should have done that (laughs) 
So of all the um, the moments that you had filming the uh, the both the movie and the TV series, was there any uh, moment or moments in particular that that really uh, stick out as something really special? Yeah, I have one. It's not in the show, and um, I mean, you guys know from the last interview with my um, my grandpa flew in B twenty fours, and when we started this season, I'm like, we're doing something with B four twenty four. Like, <laughs> I want to do that, and. Uh, we found I mean, Bomber Fantasy Camp has always been on my radar because I was like, that's really cool. Let's go do it. And the year we were filming with them, they happened to be using the B-24. And I was like, yes. So we went and Adam's like points at me and he's like, her grandfather is on B-24s. And Ty Ramey, God bless him, was like, well, then we'll get you on there. And I was like, really? <laughs> and uh, so we they did. A, they were doing a short hop from what I can't remember what airport it was over They're there. They're ferrying it from somewhere. Yeah. So I had to drive out there, and then I got to ride in the B twenty four over, and it was amazing. like I can't even like I was like I don't want to cry on this, and I only have twenty minutes, <laughs> and and I'm supposed to be filming things. <laughs> I'm supposed to be working. So I got like I did a bunch of shots, and then. I was like, I'm because I was like, he's in the tail gunner, and they're like, well, make sure you get back there. So I was able to crawl into the tail gunner seat, and I was like, this is really cool. And I really only had a couple minutes, and I was like, thank God, because otherwise, I they wouldn't be able to get me out of there. I would have been crying so hard. <laughs> but for me, absolutely, that was like I said, it doesn't, it's nothing to do with the show, but like just getting that opportunity because we were actually filming the restorers. But and as a bonus, um, I got to put my grandpa's bomber crew photos in the show, which I'm like, I already have archival for this. <laughs> Here's pictures. You've done some so. of the work. <laughs> it's really tough uh, when we're doing these pieces to steal uh, introspective moments. Um, uh, you know, you work on uh, larger movies, not even large movies. If you A small movie still has 30 to 50 people working on it. And when we're doing these documentaries, there's sometimes we swell up to a whopping crew of four. <laughs> so uh, even when we're on the ground, it's um, every moment uh, is precious and and the clock is and, and the dollar meter is ticking. So uh, even on the ground, it's uh, the case, but certainly while we're in the air, it's very difficult to have the moment where you're actually able to go, this is really cool. Uh, it's almost like we have to watch our own episodes to have mm-hmm. a bit of... Uh, Retrospect. <laughs> yeah, it's like a a, a, a a photo album of our summer. Um, yeah. In doing, um, yeah, in and do- we'll look at each other and go, "Man, that was really cool." That I'm was like, cool. Oh, yeah. Four months later, <laughs> um, I was doing uh, the original restorers, and again, the camera was off. I was shooting film, so I could, you know, unlike a lot of people who are doing work now, you just can't let the digital uh, uh, tape or card run. Um, the film is, you know, $10, $20, $30 as it's running through the camera. So I had the camera off and I was talking with, um, uh, and this story always sticks with me, uh, Norm Ellickson with the Yankee Air Museum. And we did a story about Yankee Lady to B-17. And he was talking about, you know, we, we had already done the interview and we were talking about uh, at, at that time why, again, why people do what they do this. And he was relaying this story of every air show they go to, you know, he can just sit there and see the crowd milling around and moving. And you can picture in your head just everybody moving, and then you see the one figure that's standing there solitary looking at it. And he said they'll always walk over and say, "Um, I bet that was your office. 
And all the time they say, yes, it was. And a lot of the time, no, they don't want to go in the aircraft because the last, because, and he says this in the show, the last memory they have is getting shot up, jumping out and landing up in a POW camp. Mm -hmm. But he went on and said, uh, he had one gal come out and same thing. He saw her staring at it and he's like, walks over and said, what's your story? And she did not want to go for a ride. Uh, and the air show was closing, and he said, you want to go through it? And she said, yeah, I'll do that. And went through the aircraft, and like many of us do, let her keep her space and backed off a little bit. But then she said, where would the navigator have sat? And he goes, well, right there. And she just walks over to it and reaches out and gently rubs it with her hand and then walks away and is getting out of the airplane and is walking away. And he's like, what? <laughs> And what's your story? And she said, you know, I, I knew a boy and he, we were going to get, I'm messing the story up. I can't remember if they got married or if they were going to get married. And he kissed her goodbye and went to Europe and never came back. No, you know, on one of those missions where hundreds of guys die. They never came back, don't know where the aircraft crashed, all that stuff. And she, all she knew was he was a navigator. And that was her only, and she went on to have a great life and remarried and lots of kids and grandkids and all this, but she never had that type of closure than to climb into that B-17 Yankee lady, find a navigator chair and actually touch it and say, have some sort of closure to the boy she went off, she sent off to war. And again, producer and me said, ah, why do I not have this story on camera? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I got to have it. Yeah. And by him telling me, or her telling him, him telling me, and then I'm telling all of you, mm -hmm. that's, you know, whether I got it into a movie or not is not that important. It's the purpose of being able to spread that story mm -hmm. that um, uh, events of intensity occurred to humanity. And this is, these are the stories that these aircraft are able to uh, present to people. And, and that's, I guess, sorry, long story, short story long. No. <laughs> um, that is, um, and I could probably fill a notebook of memorable moments, right. uh, when we do these pieces. Um, like in Reno, when I was about to kill a guy that got in front of my camera, uh, <laughs> but shot a man in Reno. <laughs> I almost shot it. My 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 audio man deserves the Medal of Honor for keeping me. That's why I keep him employed because he kept me out of jail that day. Um, he didn't end up in Folsom Prison. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Man, now I'm getting mad again. Thinking about it. 15 years later, I'm thinking about that incident. Yeah. The uh, green dot is a mix of emotions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really, this started as Karis therapy session. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I have to ask you to respect that, Adam. Okay? Yeah. Every yeah. movie, every every piece of art anybody ever does bears their own soul. So, yeah. yeah. That's true. This comes out. The green dot has really been on fire today. I mean, a guy died. <laughs> yeah. like, I know. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. When this you episode deserves this. an award. <laughs> may the coffee be with you. Yes. And with you. Yes. And it, uh, I guess may it, may it come back out of you? I don't know. I don't know where this is going. Um, all right. Well, we are uh, we're getting, uh, getting sort of up against the clock here. But uh, let me ask, uh, ask you both the sort of final question. What's, what's next? What are the big projects? on your horizons right now? Um, currently, we are doing a project for the CAF um, about the WASP, which 
we were awarded the job two years ago, and we just got the call that they have money to actually go out and shoot Time it. Time to get going. So uh, okay. I, in the car on the way up here, I'm in the back seat trying to type on my computer as it's bouncing around um, out Adam the script. Adam is kind of a bad driver. Yeah. <laughs> I was rounding Chicago, yeah. to be fair. <laughs> oh, okay. The roads are pretty I not say, conducive. If you, were, if you were in Wisconsin, then it's just Wisconsin <laughs> yeah. roads. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is really hard to try and type in a car. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're currently working on the script and then we're going to, um, try and, so the plan for the movie is it's going to be, if you've seen Rise Above with the Tuskegee Airmen, it's the same concept, but this time we're doing it, um, with narrative scenes. So it'll be kind of like a band of brothers ish where we have the interviews with the wasp and then we'll do little casting actresses that are going to portray the wasp. So, um, we're trying to change it up a little bit and do something a little different and um, I'm super excited about it and I was just thinking when Adam was telling this story his last story is one of the wasps we interviewed one our I think she was our first interview um, Nadine Nagel who's in Dayton and she never flew in an airplane um, but was married to a guy in B-17s I, I think, think so. in the 8th Air Force and he got killed and she was like I'm doing something and went out got her license and join the wasp because she's like if i can't if he's not there to do it i'm going to take his place and i would like several of them had yeah. that similar stories schutzy reynolds uh you know she tells a story on camera of uh uh, this is first and foremost in our minds. That's why mm-hmm. we're going on about it. Uh, she tells a story of talking with her brother who was in the service. I can't remember where. And uh, she said, how, how are we doing? And he said, we're not winning. And she said, all right. It's time to get off the couch and go do something. Yeah. And it was a lot of that of. Right. I'm going to be go. Batman now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to get up and save the world. I have to go avenge. I have to avenge. And, um, uh, and Chris and everybody here has, I know, tons of, tons stories, of stories related to it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the Wasp um, came from that background where they were already associated with aviation. And uh, a family member in some aspect or somebody, they, well, everybody in the country right. had people yeah. they knew that were in the war effort, but there was a lot of, um, I can't sit idly by and yeah. do not what's expected sit at home of doing me whatever while they're a out. school marm or right. wash dishes or whatever. I got to go and uh, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a pilot, so I can't, <laughs> why, why not Why am me? I not doing anything? And that's, yeah. that's part of the inspirational story that uh, we get to tell. And yeah. hopefully uh, we can have a couple of the wasps come out to our set and, uh, uh, you know, and they always strike us as not shy. So I'm sure they'll, yes. they'll let us know uh, where we can make corrections to the, to the scene. To help yeah. you find opportunities for yes. improvement. Yes. <laughs> I think that's how they would say it. So uh, any, any target time frame for a release at this point? Um, they it's all pretty fresh for yes. you. Yeah, the, um, it's a moving target at the, uh, a, a little bit, but the CAF want to do a fairly quick turnaround. It mm-hmm. will not be at this year's Air Venture, because no. it will be in a mobile, as Kara mentioned, a mobile traveling exhibit, so mm-hmm. it will right. travel. Um, but it'll pro- I believe that they are targeting to have it done by the early part of next year. So mm-hmm. we're, but we're filming this year. Yeah. Yeah, we're hopeful that it can be done. Like. There's a couple different moving deadlines where they're like, oh, we really want it for like ICAST or we really want it for um, by March or yeah, or home. Like, so it's kind of, it really is when they get the money to finish it. Because we have money to get it in the can, as we say, to shoot everything we need to. But for the edit, it's going to cost more. So, um, and that's beyond us because we don't do, we're not part of the fundraiser, but. uh, We have enough to do. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
All right. And in the meantime, where can people watch uh, The Restorers, both the film and the series? Uh, the uh, film is uh, the 2003 film is available at therestorers.com as well as available on Amazon. And the series is available at both those places as well. And also it's in the works for being available from a streaming service. Uh, to be named later. To yes. be named later. We <laughs> can't. It's, it's it's not, not done, done yet, yet. So, so, but we're working on it. But have uh, have we likely heard of this streaming service? Yes. yes. All right then. <laughs> um, Excellent. And if you live in Thailand or Australia or Spain or Spain Portugal, or Portugal it's, it's it's on the air currently. there <laughs> <laughs> on History Channel and available in 4K. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Adam, so. would you say you're big in Portugal? Is we are huge in Portugal yeah. right now. All right then. Yeah. Abrigado. That's all I know in yeah. Portuguese. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to go to Thailand, just get a hotel room and watch the restorers. Yeah. Which we know, we know it's still playing because um, the Sandbar Mitchell guys, they got some, one of their friends in Australia sent them a still from the television. Like, going, hey, on you're on TV. History Channel. And he goes, wow. Yeah, I know. Cool. It's there. So we have verification. That's yeah. awesome. And Kara, remind uh, the audience of the title of your book. Uh, it's called My Very Dearest Anna, and it's um, all of my grandpa's letters home to my grandma um, while he was in the Pacific. And so. also available at Amazon. Also available on Amazon and on um, thehemlockfilms.com. Uh, Hemlock yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of websites. <laughs> <laughs> I do, too. I, I, used to say, I almost <laughs> said you can never have too many, but uh, EA has, uh, at one point, EA had something like had 28 websites. Oh, my gosh. And so... <laughs> So a few of us were involved in the project to try to winnow that down to something like one. Yeah, uh, like, this is a lot. More akin to one. Yeah. All right. Well, Adam, Kara, thank you so much for coming back. Oh, this has been you. an amazing, uh, an amazing episode. Um, I don't mind admitting that I, I started to tear up when you were talking about the woman in the Navigator. Yeah. Uh, that's never happened to me on the show. Earlier, I laughed uh, until I cried because we thought Tom was dead. Um, when, uh, coffee nearly killed him. Yes, coffee nearly killed Tom. But as we see now, it only made him stronger. Yeah. So, there's a lesson, kids. They rebuilt yeah. Tom in the hallway. So, yes, exactly. He made him better than he was yeah. before. As better, much as we faster, thought the alien would both burst out of his <laughs> yeah. chest yeah. as we were sitting here. So this has been quite a ride. I'm going to take the rest of the day off. Yeah. I don't. I just I can't anymore after, yeah. after this episode. But to everybody out there listening, uh, thanks so much as always for, for joining us. Thanks for uh, going along this crazy ride today on, uh, on one of our longer episodes. Thanks to everybody who continues to, uh, to give us uh, reviews and feedback. You can always email us at feedback at EA.org. Those reviews on iTunes uh, make a huge world of difference. So anybody out there, if, uh, if you're enjoying it uh, or you've got some ideas for us, please take the time to give us a review. And with that, we look forward to chatting with you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot. <laughs> <laughs>